has been showered upon his people. What a blessing, right? What a blessing. It is great to see you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. We are thankful that you've attended with us today, and we pray today that our worship to our great God is pleasing and acceptable in his sight. Let's go to get together to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being our God, for allowing us to know you the way that we do, understanding there's so much more to know about you. Hallowed be your great name. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy upon us and for this opportunity that you granted to us another day, another chance to worship you. We pray that our worship will and has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight and in accordance to your will and your way. We ask that you will bless us to rid our minds of worldly thought that we might focus only on you and on your great son who came and died that we might live. Thank you for the beautiful and amazing sacrifice. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name. We pray these things, be that will. Amen. The cherubim and the mercy seat this morning, just a little more on it. The Ark of the Covenant was located in the Holy of the Holies. And it was the only piece of furniture there. Covering the Ark was what God called the mercy seat. We're going to Joshua chapter 3. The Ark of the Covenant is also known as the Ark of the Testimony. And in the Old Testament, the Ark represented God's presence. And so I want to give you just a picture of that. And then we'll get back into our lesson. So Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross overhead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. So this is Israel crossing the Jordan River. Verse 11, please. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. The presence of God. And they, as he marched through or crossed Jericho, the ark was before them. As the priests marched around the walls of Jericho, it wasn't just the trumpets, but the ark of the covenant was present with them, going before them. Chapter 6. I want you to look at the response of the people when we get to 1 Samuel in a moment. I want you to think about the response of the people in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. In Joshua chapter 6, in verse 1, Now Jericho was tightly shut before, uh, excuse me, because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his kings and the valiant warriors. And you shall march around the city all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests 
shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Again, the ark. First Samuel, please. Uh, chapter 4. And when they get into the promised land, you'll find that the presence of the Ark of the Covenant is it's known by not just the Hebrews or the Jews, but known by so many others around. And the people feared the Ark, if you will, but they feared that the Ark brought the presence of God. And so when God came, if you will, with the Ark of the Covenant uh, before the people of God, then the enemies of God feared Let's take a look at the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 3. And when the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take up to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim, and the two sons of, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, that all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does this noise, this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. And so there was this amazing fear, if you will, and respect and reverence for the Ark of the Covenant because in the minds of the people it was the representation of God, if you will. God's presence was before the Ark or within the Ark of the Covenant. Now let's go back and look just for a moment at the Ark. Exodus chapter 25. The Ark was designed to be a symbol of the presence of God in the midst of his people. And it was housed in the tabernacle where the Israelites brought offerings to God. In Exodus 25, there's information given to us about the Ark of the Covenant and the people in the presence of it serving the Lord. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 8. And let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. And they shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. It became the meeting place also of God's people. God would meet with his people in the presence of this, this ark, if you will, of the covenant. In verse 21, the Bible says, And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give you. And there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons 
of Israel. And so a place where God spoke even to the high priest, to the leaders, to Moses. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9. Inside or under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, inside of the lid there were three objects. And I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9 to review with you about what those objects were. Beginning at verse 3, the Bible says, And behind the second veil there was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar with manna, an Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. In other words, the Ten Commandments. All inside of this Ark of the Covenant of God. I want to go back to Exodus 25 because it's a very important point I want to bring out. Exodus chapter 25. So here's what we have. The glory of the Lord, His divine protection, leadership, direction, and presence were located at the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, through a representation of the greatness of our God. The mercy seat is that name that was given for the lid that is covering the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to listen to what's stated about the mercy seat. Exodus 25 and verse 20. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. The faces are turned toward the mercy seat. So they're looking down at this lid, if you will, that covers the Ark of the Covenant. Back to Hebrews chapter 9. The cherubim stood above that mercy seat. And here's what's happening. As a cherubim who are, as we've been studying, the guardians, if you will, as the cherubim are looking down at the mercy seat and they see what, what is happening, that God's commandments have been broken. Mankind, the Israelites, are not keeping the commandments of God. So the mercy seat, the lid covers with the sprinkled blood. The mercy seat covers that broken covenant, which, if you will, gives that staying power to the cherubim, where they cannot go in and act upon the world what they are designed to do, if you will, as guardians of God's throne. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 19, For when every commandment which is spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and the water with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But it wasn't, and it isn't, the blood of bulls and goats, right? The ashes of a heifer. It's the blood of Jesus. And so God was able to look all the way backwards and God's able to look all the way forward and bring this perfect propitiation, if you will, or satisfaction to save humanity. Chapter 10 tells us in verse 3, But in those sacrifices there's a reminder of sins year by year, 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Jesus. Mark chapter 15. Remember last week we talked about going into the Holy of Holies? And they would tie a rope on the leg of the high priest who went in once a year in, in, case, in case he didn't come back out. And no one was allowed to enter through the veil on which the cherubim were there and, and to the witness to the Ark of the Covenant. But then when Jesus died, something happened. Jesus died on the cross and the veil, the Bible says, was rent or torn from top to bottom. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 15 and verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And what that means to us is, turn to Psalm 85. What that means to us is this. The Holy of Holies, which was for years, for years covered, if you will, with the, uh, the veil that was there, and you can only enter in once a year, and that being only the high priest, after he has cleansed himself, that veil was torn down, which opened up, if you will, and exposed the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Psalm 85, uh, beginning, if you will, at verse 8, the Bible says, I will hear what God the Lord will say. For he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let him, them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs forth from the earth. And righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him. will make his footsteps into a way. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Go to Matthew chapter 28. What, what an amazing idea, the very thought that loving kindness and truth, that mercy and truth have met together. I want to look just for a moment at the resurrection scene. Uh, there are lots of angels who are present. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to begin there and look through the synoptics, if you will, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then we'll go also to John. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not, look, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Behold, I have told you. He has risen. He's not there. Mark, if you will, chapter 16. 
every other religious leader, their bones are still in the grave. But Jesus got up. Jesus rose. Mark 16 and verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter, He's going before you in the Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he said. How many times did he say it? He said it over and over again. But they, Luke 24. But they didn't get it. They, it hadn't resonated in their minds. They, you might even say they, they had a hard time believing it. That a man would rise from the dead. Jesus is not there. In Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. May I ask you a question? How many times does the Bible have to tell us that Jesus rose from the dead? For us to live our lives in such a way to where the world will say there's something uniquely different about these people. They believe in this amazing historical fact that the God they serve rose from the dead. It's echoed so many times throughout scriptures after we leave the, uh, the Gospels and we get into the letters and the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's mentioned so many times. That's the preaching point, church. That Jesus got up. That Jesus rose from the dead. That it was all a part of God's plan. And in verse 4, the Bible says, And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? One of us might ask the question, Why were they even at the tomb? Because they didn't really quite believe it, right? They didn't quite believe it. And I wonder this morning, when we think about what we do, what we represent, what we are, are passionate about in our service to our Lord, I wonder this morning if our hearts are strengthened every first day of the week when we're taking the Lord's Supper, reminding ourselves that Jesus got up. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's where our strength comes from in our religious, or if you will, our faith in our God. That he got up and that death itself could not hold him. But there's just another step we want to go with this. In John chapter 20, we've been studying John, and it's been a great study. But in John chapter 20, God gives us the finality of mercy, and he shows it to us. The Bible says in verse 11, But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping, and so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And thus far, we found that there are angels present in different places and different forms. And, and she, she stoops and she, and she looks into the tomb. And the question is, what did she see? 
verse 12. And she beheld two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Let me remind you of something really quickly, and then we're going to think about this. Back to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. I want us to look at the verses 18, just as a reminder, in verse 19. Exodus 25. And you shall make two cherub, cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub at one end of the and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. So what did she see? Mercy. Do you know all this time we've been preaching lately on, on the cherub and the cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and, and we're going through all this, we're going, all right, is there a point to this? Yeah, here's the point. The whole time we've been talking about Jesus, church, did you get it? The whole time we've been talking about Jesus Christ. Mercy. When the cherubim look down and see the sprinkled blood, it's the blood of Jesus. I know it's the blood of bulls and goats, but the Father sees the, the blood of Jesus that is a propitiation, the satisfaction for all of humanity. When God looks down and he sees the broken covenant, when the cherubim look down and see the broken covenant, they see Jesus. His blood that covers all of humanity. Go back and read the cherubim. Go back and read the Ark of the Covenant and realize the greater picture is Jesus. We are saved by mercy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know those scary-looking angels we started out with in Ezekiel? We started looking at them and talking about them. Christ the divine. You find these protective angels, the cherubim or beings. We find the leadership and direction and the presence of God. God is with his children forever. And thank you, God, that when you look down at me, you see the blood of Jesus. The true and only picture of mercy is found in Jesus. It is nowhere else. When she looks into that tomb, she sees an angel on one side, an angel on the other side, where mercy was lying in between them. Oh, thank you, God, for the mercy that you show to humanity. Church, God's mercy is so deep and so wide and so rich and so pure and so perfect and so divine that to even understand what it really means boggles the mind of the greatest philosopher the greatest theologians, if you will. The loving kindness of God is so deep and so rich and so wide that to try to understand it would take a lifetime and even then will only scratch the surface. Here's a question that God might ask for us. Church, will you love me back the way that I love you? Will you love me back? I love you. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of time, before God created us, God loved us. 
and loves us all the way through even all the pitfalls of life and our struggles and our turmoil that we even create for ourselves. So much so that when you think of the plan of God, it involved Jesus dying, the Bible says, from the days of eternity. Remembering that before God made us, He already knew He'd have to die for us. It was all part of the plan to save us. Do I love God back? Hebrews chapter 13. The way that God loves me. Do I love God back in my life, in my attitude, in my thoughts? Do I love God back? Do I have mercy for God? You ever get tired of ripping God's heart apart with sin? Do I have mercy for God? That God has to look at all this wickedness and all this evil in the world today of people that don't know Him, people that do know Him. Do I have mercy for God today where I can look to God and say, God, today I'm going to live my life. I want to live my life without sin. I don't want to sin against you, God. I love you too much. The mercy seat. Jesus Christ. The only true mercy that's ever existed. It comes from God. They brought the Ark of the Covenant to places. That's the presence of God. But we have God dwelling within us. And he makes this promise. And the promise that he makes to us is so powerful. It is so epic, church. It is so, so amazing that in true reality, we're protected continuously by our God. And in verse 5, he says, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And the proper way, grammatically, that's written in the, in the Greek, I will never know, not ever. I will never know, not ever leave you. I will never know, not ever. And only God can make that promise. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? And man can do a lot, can't they, physically. But they cannot touch our soul. Because of the mercy of God. This morning, God's mercy is extended to you. It's extended to all of us. It's never, ever, it never fades. And it never fails. And this morning, we can help in any way. Through way of prayer. Or someone like to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. We invite you. We encourage you to turn your life to God. In church, if you're struggling in your life, just keep looking to the mercy of God. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. And let God carry you through all the way to the end. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Precious cornerstone.